Romans 7, 15 through 25. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer that I do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer that I do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Lord Jesus, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning with the 16th verse, Jesus says, But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Verse 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give to you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, relief from our burdens to set them aside, to receive your light yoke, and to learn from you, and there discover the words of eternal life. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, last night, Danny and I were sitting at the dinner table, 
just talking about the plans for the next couple of weeks. There's uh, several more doctor's appointments between now and the end of the month on the calendar, and even more to be scheduled, and Danny's sister is planning a taco party a couple of weeks from Saturday, and we were trying to guess whether or not Danny would feel good enough to go, or if I had to go deal with her family by myself. And Danny had already taken uh, care of feeding the Aggie dog, so Aggie was kind of curled up on the rug, uh, fairly comfortable before she had decided to start bugging for more treats. Earlier in the day, I was in Indiana visiting the uh, good friend whose partner is hospitalized with cancer that has now traveled to her liver. Um, I ask you to be in prayer for Michelle Hatcher. As is often the case, even though it really drives Danny nuts, while we were chatting, I was scrolling through my phone. And a text message popped up. And it was Jim Trollia Jr. And he texted me, wondering about your ETA. And I thought, oh, shoot. (laughs) This was 6.48 p.m. Earlier in the week, Jim had called me from Beverly Ridge Funeral Home. A family needed a minister for a funeral. It was a cremation, and they wanted someone to come and say a few prayers and appropriate words at the conclusion of the visitation on Saturday. Uh, as has been the case for the last 30 years with Beverly Ridge Funeral Home, formerly James' dad and now Jim, uh, I said, sure. Typed it into my calendar, 7 p.m. And then I promptly forgot. Fortunately, Beverly Ridge Funeral Home is less than 10 minutes from my house. But I needed to change. And so I typed back that I'd be there in 15 and flew into a nearby phone booth for a super pastor change. I share that with you, somewhat embarrassed about my forgetfulness, but that wasn't really my big problem. My big problem was what I was thinking as I was putting on my clerical collar shirt and my dress shoes my brain was, ans- was completely occupied with answering one question. What on earth am I going to say? Not what am I going to say for the funeral. I've done that 600 and change times before. What was I going to say when I showed up late to the funeral home? What was I going to tell them? Would I tell them that I'd been at a hospital in Indiana at the bedside of a critically ill cancer girl? Well, that would have been true, but that was three or four hours before. Could I tell them that there were problems with trains? There are two sets of tracks between my house and the funeral home. And everyone in that part of the city of Chicago is used to blaming trains. There is also the possibility that I had some phone call that was occupying my attention, and in the midst of deep pastoral care, I lost track of time. What amazed me about my reaction was how quickly I snapped into this isn't my fault mode. It's not my fault. Not only was I spinning all kinds of obfuscating lies, let's face it, they weren't true, 
to protect some illusion of my integrity, I had gone there instantaneously. What made this even more absurd was when I arrived at the funeral home, all nervous about being late, nobody cared. The family was talking, they were in the coffee room straightening up the snacks that they'd been devouring through the day, they were chatting, catching up with family. I took a few moments and talked with the family about the service and Whatever story I was spinning in my head to formulate my excuse was of no consequence. All that mattered was that I had arrived and that the funeral portion of the day could begin. I took a moment to tell Jim thanks for the text and to confess to them that I really had just forgotten He expressed that he was impressed that I clearly wore a clerical collar all the time. And we laughed as he introduced me to the family. Of even greater embarrassment the whole time, the fact that this occurred while all week long I had been thinking about the words of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, which Emily just read. Paul wrote, so I find it to be a law. When I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law in my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I know, being distracted when I should be somewhere else is not a mortal sin. I've got a lot on my mind. This week's schedule was a little whacked up. Usually these evening services occur on Sunday evenings, not on Saturday evenings. See where I'm going there? See what I'm doing? Even when I got home, my loving wife was kind to me. You've got a lot on your mind. This is, you know, this is kind of understandable. Let's work on getting it in the the, the calendar by the refrigerator because she'll remind me what's there. And all of this just making excuses and trying to convey to the world, to myself, it wasn't my fault, wretched person that I am, wrote Paul, who will rescue me from this body of death. Now, before last night's don't be too hard on Jonathan, despite what happened, he's really a decent guy story, I was going to begin my sermon with the analysis of a seemingly divided nation, that we are all being told how split apart we are. Leaning heavily into the gospel text, what, to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children in the marketplaces calling to one another, we played the flute for you, you did not dance, we wailed and you did not mourn. Jesus' words are condemning. We wanted you to dance to our tune. We wanted you to sing our lament, and you're not cooperating. It's not our fault. It's your fault. You're not getting along with the way things are supposed to go. And it does not matter which side of the ideological divide you find yourself. We are the same spoiled children. 
Can't you see how wonderful fill-in-the-blank is? Don't you understand how awful fill-in-another-blank is? I'd suggest, well, on the one hand, we are divided over various ideologies. We are absolutely united in our capacity to make excuses. We are one in permission-giving for the people who we like. And we are absolutely joined together in taking credit for the good things and explaining how the bad things aren't our fault. It's kind of a personal exceptionalism. I would always be an unwavering, wonderful person, except for the stuff you keep doing that throws me off my game. Trust me. This is an old, old story. Doesn't get older than this. Adam, Eve, snake, garden, God. Adam, did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to eat? Adam says, well, I would have been obedient, except Eve, you know, kind of set me up. Okay, Eve, did you eat of the fruit of the garden that I told you not to eat? Well, there was this snake guy. We would have been obedient. So it's ultimately somebody else's fault. We're not here to actually solve the problem of alienation with God. We're just dedicated to figuring out who to blame. You've been to those meetings, haven't you? We've run into a problem. It's maybe happened around your own table. We got a problem here. I know. Let's figure out whose fault it is. And once we figure that out, we can move on our way. And so it is the echo of Paul's words, I don't do what I want to do. The very thing that I end up doing is that which I hate. I desire to do good, it lies close at hand, but somehow not in my ability. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now remember, these words are not written by some you know, thief hanging on a cross who's been condemned for his actions. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, a guy writing from jail who practically invented Christianity. And as I am spinning in my head a formula of my own excuses that will somehow get me off the hook, some way to blame my failure on a train or cancer or being too good of a pastor to provide balanced attention or some other worthy person or, or some sunspots or, I don't know, Republicans or Democrats or book banners or ignorant Karens or a decaying sense of morality wrought by critical theorists trying to destroy America. In the end, when it boils down to my self-justification, I have to confess, nobody cares. Nobody really cares. All that anxiety is in my head. It's in my gut. It's within me, this body of death. 
Did I mention that all of this anxiety and excuse making was in preparation for a funeral? I know funerals. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone that believes in me, though he dies, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never truly die. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are overburdened. To you I will give rest. Rest. Sweet, peace-giving rest. And all the echoing, self-justifying, exceptionalism begins to fade and become the nonsense that it is. Jesus said, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking, and they said, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Can we just give it a rest? Can we take our weary excuses, our self-righteous story-making, our blame-making, our reaching for the wrong while explaining ourselves away? Can we just give it all Arrest. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. I am gentle and humble in heart. My yoke is easy, my burden light, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen. Amen. Please stand and join with me in the affirmation of our faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord.